Thanks for listening to the Love is the Author podcast. My name's Jamie Carpenter. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for listening. Today is a special episode. I'm embarking on something that I haven't done within this podcast, and that's sharing art. I'm going to be sharing some previously unreleased pieces of music recorded in the last decade during my time spent as a music producer, composer, and songwriter. And within these pieces of music are some really big name artists who I had an opportunity to work with, one of which is Phoebe Bridgers, who in the last year received multi-Grammy nominations for her record Punisher, which was her second album. And I'll talk about how I met her and how we eventually recorded some music together prior to her becoming a huge star. Very special stories coming. And I just want to take this moment because I feel, after hitting the record button, I feel an intensity in my body. I feel like I'm about to do something very vulnerable, which is share a part of my life that I don't normally share and share some really special pieces of music that are very near and dear to me and some stories also. So I think um, when I recognize this level of intensity and energy in my body, it's good to just take a moment and follow the breath. So maybe do that with me now. Story starts today in 2009. I had uh, had some experience as a film and TV cue writer. I was writing these two-minute pieces of music, and I had had some success in that, minor success, basically being able to pay some bills and then hearing some songs in a film trailer or in the background of uh, a commercial and that was really exciting, you know. Um, I had been a, uh, a musician my whole life. I wore it like a very tight garment. I uh, defined myself as a musician. And I was really trying to make a name for myself. In 2009, six years earlier than that, I had been naked, almost, almost naked on skid row in downtown LA after pissing my life away. I had uh, built my life back from scratch. The devastations and the addiction uh, and emotional issues that had long been overdue for a reckoning, I was beginning to face. And I had built up a little solid, humble name for myself, writing these tiny pieces of music and getting to see them featured in places every once in a while it'd be fun you know you'd be at a movie theater about to watch a big movie or something and then i don't know in the coke commercial ahead of time or like the trailer for the film that's going to be coming out you might hear your music featured and these are instrumental pieces of music and this had been a more humbler approach than i'd started my career with which was like being the 
absolute front man of every situation and, you know, really wanting to pronounce my identity in music. So in 2009, I was, uh, I was writing cues for some Bravo shows, uh, Real Housewives, Top Chef, Project Runway. And uh, I was getting to hear those songs on these shows, and it was really cool. I wasn't really watching Real Housewives, but I checked out some Top Chef, and I got into it for a minute. And um, it was cool to hear a piece of music in that. In 2010, I got approached by a uh, an up-and-coming filmmaker who had been shooting this documentary uh, that he was calling Crime After Crime, that he had every intention that year of submitting to Sundance. And I'd grown up with his wife, and this was my meeting him for the first time, and he was searching out a composer, and I had never done film composing. Didn't know the first thing. As a matter of fact, even with recording, uh, even with my music production, I had always worked with an engineer. So this was, uh, you know, one of these things that, I don't know, I was like, if I got the job, I was just going to fake it and hope that I could make it. And uh, I did get that job, and I started writing pieces of music for this really intense documentary on this uh, the incarceration of this woman who was wrongfully incarcerated and was given a life sentence and really amazing story. So moving to be a part of something like that. And so I was writing pieces of music and hoping that it would go well. And I'd been uh, producing bands and artists for the last few years. And my idea was to fuse instrumental versions of these artists that I'd worked with into the score, along with some of my own original pieces of music. Usually when I produced an artist, I would play all the instruments. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I play piano, bass, guitar, and I sing. And uh, these pieces of music of these artists that I had produced, a lot of them was just me playing a lot of the instruments. And so this was an opportunity for me to get a lot of the artists I had worked with in a film score. And so I created this score. That film that year in 2010 was submitted to Sundance and accepted. And this was a huge moment in my life. I was now uh, adorned with the identity of film composer and I really faked my way through the whole thing you know and uh, in January of 2011 I went to Sundance to Park City Utah for the Sundance Film Festival and I got to see this finished product of this film uh, leaving people in tears I went to all the the screenings every single one of them and that's not something I think that everybody did (laughs) You might get sick of your own movie and your own stuff, but this was like a moment that I've been waiting for my whole life. Oprah Winfrey ended up buying that film and showing it exclusively on her own network, OWN. And this was like a big thing. I was, I, I really had this uh, belief, this egoic construct going. Um, I didn't realize how deep in ego I was. Um, I just thought this is what people do. You build up a name. You know, I was, uh, I didn't realize how in the way it was. 
and it was calling the shots and, and it's just hungry for more and more name building. And so, um, coming back from that Sundance experience, I was really riding a high and, um, there was a local farmer's market. I lived in uh, Pasadena, the Pasadena area. And on Saturday mornings, there was this farmer's market at uh, Pasadena high school in a parking lot. And I used to frequent it. And one particular day, and this is about a month after being back from Sundance, I was walking through the market and I heard a song I recognized. It's a song by a band, sort of a more of an obscure band uh, from the 70s called Big Star. And they're not obscure within songwriters and within people of that decade. They're kind of one of these bands that didn't launch into superstardom, but they're an incredible, influential band. And I heard a song of theirs called 13, very special song that captures the innocence of youth. And this song was being played by a uh, young lady who was playing the acoustic guitar and busking. And this was Phoebe Bridgers. And afterwards, I just... I mean, I stood to watch it, and I was just mouth agape the whole thing. You know, I, I couldn't believe that someone so young, I mean, I, you know, I was barely alive when Big Star was out, and so here's this person who looked like a teenager playing the song and really owning it. I was blown away, and I expressed my appreciation, and I just had this feeling like I was stumbling upon something that was uh, was going to be really big in the world. And that was, Phoebe just had this, this uh, I've always heard about in documentaries that people talk about meeting somebody who was going to be a star. And I never really had that feeling. I'd had a feeling of people who could be a star or could be because they were musically proficient, but not this quality. I, I really wanted to work with Phoebe. And so, we exchanged information, and and uh, she sent me a link to her music on MySpace. This is how far back we are. And um, we had some email exchanges going, and I really wanted to work with her. She's finishing high school, and so I got in touch with her mother, and we started just building up a very casual sort of relationship and I expressed my interest and in producing Phoebe and what happened was the rest of that year I just continued working with artists in 2011 and Phoebe and I didn't work together yet but I think she was a junior in high school then so she still had another year to go and I didn't have any rush on this even though I I had a a page bent in my mind about working with her for sure 2012, I get the opportunity to uh, star in a documentary. This was a crazy confluence of events where it's 2012 and I'm expected to launch maybe into the stratosphere. A lot of people were predicting that. Uh, Most of those people live in my mind. (laughs) But... um, 
you know, I had some real momentum going. I had also gotten a piece of music in a film that I didn't know what this film was going to be or how big it was going to be. But it ended up being a film that Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale were in called The Fighter. I did a tiny, shitty piece of music for that film that made me the most money I'd ever made from doing anything in film and TV. And uh, so it was looking like things were going to... um, really take off for me and there was this documentary being made about film composition and they had been doing interviews with composers of the day and the film felt like it was lacking something so in January of 2012 this film was looking for someone who is an up-and-comer to follow around and they were going to also bestow that person the opportunity to interview the subjects so I was not only the human subject of this film over that year, and they followed my family around as I try to break into the industry and I go knock on the doors of the giants and do interviews, which really stoked sort of where I'm in, what I'm in right now of enjoying doing this podcast and interviewing people and this journalistic side of me who really likes talking to people. And it's certainly what I do in my profession now as a spiritual mentor. You know, it's a lot of listening a lot of conversation. So I really enjoyed this, and this was sort of the beginning of that. And what they didn't tell me about this film, which was called Chasing Notes, is that they were going to ask me to do the score. So this is the first time somebody who was the subject of a film was also the interviewer and going to do the film score, basically about my own life. And this film followed me around for that year, and that year sucked. As a matter of fact, it was the worst year that I'd had in a long time where opportunities were drying up and I have this film crew following me. And it's because of that thing that I mentioned earlier of sort of like this egoic thing. I was getting further and further away from the passion. But I did write a film score and they put me in the studio and there wasn't any money other than the studio time, and we were hoping to work with an orchestra. So I'm in the scoring part of this as this film is like, what's this film going to be about? The sucky year of somebody who doesn't make it? And my family, we were getting kicked out of apartments, and my wife was really getting fed up, and we had two small children. Here I am sitting in this music studio needing to write a score with no orchestra and no money for instruments or uh, players. And I'm sitting in the music studio for the first day and I, I'm like, well, what if I just, what if I sing the parts of these pieces? What if I mimic the sound of a string or the sound of a horn section all with my voice? And I'll do that now as a placeholder so that when I work with an orchestra, eventually, hopefully, for this film, if money is raised, that I can just, they can listen to that and know, you know, they could translate it. Because I didn't even know how to write. I don't know how to write music. So all of the stuff that I do within music and have always done has come from my ear, has just come from my abilities. A lot of times I don't even know what chords I'm playing. 
So I'm sitting in the music studio and I just recorded this song that I'm about to play for you, which is called The Drought, which was basically about, you know, what was going on with me just in this drought. Things are drying up and I'm not realizing it's because there is no reason I did music. The passion side of things was being obscured by this pursuit of building up a name. So not knowing that, I just recorded this piece of music and it's this is just an orchestra of my voices mimicking instruments. And it's called The Drought. And this is the first time I've ever played it. drought from the film score the film chasing notes which never came out <laughs> i grew up listening to bobby mcferrin you know the guy who did don't worry be happy and he was known for you know making instrument noises with his voice and it was kind of a return to that like my love of bobby mcferrin in the 80s growing up but it's a really special piece of music, and you can hear the desperation, I feel like. Well, eventually I wrote this, uh, this song that ended up being the real theme of Chasing Notes. And uh, 
It's a song called If Not Now Then When, and it is also the theme song to this season of Love as the Author. It's the song at the opening. It's the instrumental version. In this song, I got paired up with some of the people that I'd interviewed for the film, some of these really big composers, and I asked them if they would guest on this song. And I had this really all-star cast of people backing me up for nothing, just because they they were uh, fond of me and were generous enough to offer their time. This song called If Not Now Then When features Lizbeth Scott on vocals, and she's the voice of the female voice of the Avatar soundtrack. She's a really big voice in film, in film music. It also has Nathan Barr on cello. Nathan Barr is the composer of True Blood and The Americans and Hostel and uh, a lot of other films. And he was my favorite composer at the time, working with a cello and getting really amazing sounds out of the cello for his scores. I loved True Blood, and this was a dream to work with him. And also George S. Clinton, not George Clinton from Funkadelic, but George S. Clinton, who did all the Austin Power films and uh, Wild Things, to name a few. He's playing the Wurlitzer on this. And it's a real East meets West song with lyrics that are all about seizing the moment. And uh, I'm really excited to play this for you now. This is If Not Now, Then When from the Chasing Notes soundtrack. So remember 
was If Not Now Then When, which is uh, really cool to listen to now. And uh, just one of those things where it's like, with a lot of this music that I'm playing today, there's this feeling that I have when I listen to it of like, that even though I got to do all these great things, I never, you know, uh, really found a way to be able to do music for a living and sustain that. And what I found later on was even more impressive. Um, it's the, the ability to do what I do in music without instruments and just hanging out with people and digging into the deep connections. And that's what I found really being, uh, an artist is all about is, is it's not so much in the creation as it is in the act. And, uh, I'm really grateful that I get to do that for a living now. Uh, these pieces of music, it's really nice to share them with you. So that was 2012. And uh, 2013, I finally get the message. And I quit music. I quit it because my ego had gotten so big and our bills were not getting paid. And I felt like maybe I was missing. I was missing some aspect of the equation, you know, I had uh, been brought up to believe that there is a loving, unifying vibration in the world that is life itself. And that's where I get uh, love as the author from, is just love as the author of everything that we experience in life, even though it comes in a variety of forms and some that aren't, that don't feel helpful, some that feel incredibly painful, that it's all sculpting us to be more in the flow of love and to recognize that love is behind it all. And I basically, in 2013, I was having a spiritual awakening. I was, I decided that music and the pursuit of it was taking me further off course and there had to be something more. And I needed for the first time in my life to surrender some of my concepts about about what I'm here to do and just open myself up to the universe and really put, you know, put my money where my mouth is or allow whatever's out there to work through me and make me what it would rather than using my ideas, which seem to get me further into debt and, and, uh, further into doubt. And so I, surrendered i did the most radical thing that i could do which was surrender uh being a musician and i got a job at a machine shop and i vowed never to come back to music until i could get right with the passion side of it again get right with it in my heart and do it for the right reasons and not to make a check not to make money not to make a name for myself but just to express in this machine shop i uh I worked for a guy who uh, was an artist that I had produced, who I got in that film, Crime After Crime. He was one of the artists in the soundtrack. And uh, I started getting my hands dirty, making money, you know, just like assembling parts for him. And he would do these uh, really intricate electron beam welds. And I started really finding something that was like, really peaceful and meaningful that existed outside of music, which I was very surprised to find. And I'd kind of 
moved away from music. I wasn't even listening to it. I was just listening to talks about meditation and really spending long periods of time in the morning meditating, asking to be used, and just going wherever uh, I had been called to go that day and showing up to these things and just experiencing what life had in store for me outside of my planning. And about a half a year into working in this machine shop, that that guy I worked for bought a music studio and asked me to run it. And so music had come back to me in the surrender. And it was undeniable because I, I didn't have my hands in it. It had just all shaped up and it was like calling me back and it was having me back. And so the idea was that I would set up the studio and build bring in the contacts of all my previous workings with music and clients that I'd worked with and get this thing off the ground, which I did. And in our spare time, we created pieces of music. He was a lyricist and I would write songs and I would write them leaving the lyrics part out, but I would write the melody singing I would sing along with my guitar parts and basically create a whole structure of a song and then hand him the stuff with me humming the melody. And then he would write lyrics to my humming. And I thought this would be a great time to check in with Phoebe. So I got in contact with her and I'd been following her progress on Facebook and she was gigging around town. Still was an unknown name, but was gaining some traction. And I asked if she would come and sing a lead vocal on one of these songs, which we were calling Maybe in the End, which uh, turned out to be one of my favorite pieces of music that I've ever made and the production I'm really proud of. And I'd become friends with a guy named Matt Hales, who's the singer of this band Aqualung that enjoyed uh, platinum success. Uh, they, were, they had a song called, I think, Brighter Than Sunshine is the song. And he had become a producer and he was a British guy who was living in my neighborhood and our kids went to the same school and he happened to be in the studio this day that Phoebe came. And uh, we had gotten the production all down and Phoebe just needed to sing the vocal and she let she just gave us this devastatingly haunting beautiful vocal on this song that I'm really excited to share with you now. And uh, I'll tell you more about the production afterwards, but we'll get right into it. This is uh, the debut of Maybe in the End, featuring Phoebe Bridgers on lead vocal. Some 
So that choir is just a few of us, my mother, Matt Hales, Phoebe, a few friends. It's a fake choir, uh, just doubled a bunch of times. And that, that, uh, that string sound is a friend of mine who is an Iraq war veteran who uh, was a musician in high school and a cello player and had put the instrument away and owned a cello but hadn't played it in years. And I kind of convinced him to come start joining me in the studio. And and uh, he was learning how to play the instrument again, basically. And we would do section by section. And he would do all the different parts. And in this case, on this song, there is that distorted cello sound, which I just love. And it's a really powerful vocal, uh, of course, from Phoebe. And this one went so well that we had done another one um, that I'm going to play for you now. And this one's called There Goes the Neighborhood. And this is a song I had written 13 years earlier, really inspired by Kid A, the Radiohead album. And... uh You'll hear the a lot of that sort of sort of those chord progressions, that style of really haunting, bittersweet. And uh once again a choir, a fake choir of my friends. And this one I brought in a horn section, a three piece, and had my friend Ian Smith on cello doing the cello parts, learning as he goes, quite honestly. And it was one of the only places that he played. And so much like me, I wasn't playing much outside of the studio, but this was all also this music was being created now from this passion place. And it's a, it's a really easy thing to hear for me. I can hear the difference in this, not trying to really do anything or be anything, but just express. And Phoebe joined us again and sang once again, a powerful vocal on this song called There Goes the Neighborhood. Strange bird soaring in the dead of night has come to take my
That is an epic piece of music, and I'm really proud of it. So these have just been sitting around, you know, these pieces of music. Nothing really ever happened with them, and big things happened for Phoebe. You know, a few years later, I saw her make a her first record. I saw her on Conan O'Brien. I saw her in a an Apple commercial prior to her being big. She was doing a cover of the song uh, Gigantic uh, by the Pixies. You know, working with Phoebe was, it was what I imagined it was like being around Kurt Cobain. You know, there was this fragility and this defiant strength. Like, she was, seems so precious and yet really tough and didn't need anybody to watch after her. And uh, just had, like, I, I, I felt like I was around an angel, you know, if you'll pardon the cheesiness of that. But it really felt like she was an angel and that she was going to be as big as she is now. And uh, her and I have drifted. I, I, I didn't stay in touch. And by the time I, I think I tried to reach out, like it had been so many years. But uh, I think she's probably gotten a new phone number or something. Uh, the blue iMessage thing went to green uh, most recently. But, uh, you know, what a beautiful thing to be a part of. And this last piece of music that I want to play is a song that came out. Came out of those uh, those sessions around that time that we did both, maybe in the end, and there goes the neighborhood. And this is a, a song that I wrote that uh, the welder did the lyrics to. His name is... Kendall Forey wrote really amazing lyrics about the idea of spirit being without body and looking for a home and pouring itself into the next form. And I'm playing all the instruments. And by the way, on the, not to toot my own horn or anything, but uh, the last few songs that you've heard, I was playing all the instruments. I played the, the drums and the guitar and the bass and all that stuff. The only thing I didn't do was the strings. And on this song, it's a song I'm really proud of. Uh, one of the greatest recordings, and it's absolutely just the lyrics are incredible. And it's got a four-part harmony section on it. And uh, I'm playing the inside of a piano, um, tinkering around with the strings of the inside of the piano. See if you can make that out. It really embodies the spiritual path, this song, you know. He really captured something in the lyrics. And uh, the performance uh, is something that, uh, well, I'm really excited to share with you. And so this is the song, Ever Changing, by myself and Kendall Forey. I'm waiting for you to fall 
and that was ever-changing. Thanks so much for joining me on this special episode of Loves the Author. The Chasing Notes film, it actually came out and uh, it did some festivals, but it never came out uh, and did a, a major theatrical release. And I wonder about this film that chronicles my life or my demise within music, leading to a surrender that would yield everything that I was ever looking for, really. At first musically, and then sort of leaving music behind and entering into what I've been doing the last eight years, which has been working in addiction and mental health, helping people find spiritual solutions to problems that have only been diagnosed uh, and sort of labeled and not worked deeper with. And so now, um, uh, now my life is sort of like I sit with people for an hour and we jam and we don't use instruments. We are the instruments. And it's like the whole world is an orchestra, you know, and we get together and there's like little trios or quartets or solo performances I didn't know that I didn't need an instrument for that. These microphones may be really good, and you could probably pick up my dog uh, lapping up water in the background. But anyway, there's a lot in surrender. Everything that I was ever looking for is there. And surrendering music, it came back to me, but more so it showed me a different reality. You know, that in surrendering all of my ideas of how I think it should go, that the the world would still meet me with the specifics that are in my heart of what what's the most meaningful to me. And getting to do this work, that would lead to love as the author, as being a service of spiritual mentorship. It's just so moving to think about, you know, to think that we don't have to do or orchestrate as much and designed things, you know, we don't have to get our hands as, as involved, you know, there's so much within surrender. So keep that in mind today as you move through life. Maybe something bigger is going on that has your back. Maybe this universe loves you and cares for you, and maybe you're an extension of it. And maybe everything that's meaningful to you, that's truly meaningful to you, is waiting for you on the other side of your own surrender. Thanks for joining me today. This has been Love is the Author. Appreciate your attention. I'll see you next time.